Good morning. Uh, today's passage will be found in Philippians, and I'll be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So please follow along with me as I read this passage. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I am just humbled here this morning just to be in your presence. I am so thankful that Jesus is our Lord and he is God. I do pray for those in our communities and our families and our nation on earth that do not accept this truth, Lord. I pray that we can be witnesses in spreading that word of truth to them. I pray this morning, Lord, for our brother Brian as he brings forth your message. I pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to what you have to teach us here today. Lord, I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Tom, for reading our text today. Appreciate that. Continuing our study here in Philippians and coming to this extremely uh, significant passage and one that uh, definitely uh, puts weight on me as I come to preach it. And yet it is God's word just as much as the rest of God's word. So um, while I feel some of the intensity of the fact that this is a very well-known text and a very significant text, um, uh, and, and my hope is that as it has, it is, as it's dug its way into my uh, my heart, that I've been able to share that those truths with you today. It's it's a, an encouragement to be able to look at a text like like this and be able to just preach Christ uh, from this text and how we can then apply Christ to our lives. And, you know, again, hopefully I'm doing that with every text, but yet there's a significance to this one. And, and in many and, and, and in many ways, uh, you know, some commentators have looked at this text and thought that this was like an early hymn of the church um, that they possibly uh, sung regarding Christ or an early creed. Some of them wonder whether uh, Paul actually wrote this or if he takes this from the early church. We have no reason to doubt that Paul wrote this, but yet it's very, it's very possible that they could have used this in some form or some way um, to uh, declare the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, that kind of historical aspect to this text, that kind of weight to this text in regards to how the church has viewed this text, you know, we come to it with a great deal of humility and hope that we can learn and glean from this text today. The title of the sermon is The Supreme Example of members serving together, and the supreme example that Paul gives to us is Jesus Christ. Later on in this chapter, Paul is going to give us examples of other men who have served God and sought to serve his church, and we're going to see as we, as we get into the text in uh, 
uh, a couple weeks, so not next week, but uh, the week after, we're going to see the example of, of Timothy, and then following that, the example of Epaphroditus. And uh, so and they're definitely an encouragement as we see brothers in Christ seeking to give of themselves to serve the church. But before he gets to the examples of these fellow brothers on the same level as us, he presents to us the supreme example, Jesus Christ himself. Um, this text has definitely uh, been looked at as a way of understanding the glories of Christ and the humiliation of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. And all those things are here in that text. But within the context, the point of Paul presenting these things is not just to demonstrate all those things to us, but in order for us to have the same mind as Christ. It's meant to exemplify the kind of mind, and we looked at that last week, a disposition that we have towards what God has done in us, this work that God has done in us, so that we might then humbly serve one another. Not, um, uh, what did it say, counting others, verse 3, humility, counting others more significant than yourself, selfless service in verse 4, letting each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that we might say, as the main point of this section, all members should pursue the disposition of Christ-like humility through obedience to God and service to one another. All members should pursue the disposition of Christ-like humility through obedience to God and service to one another. And, and, and within that main point, I, I, I don't give that main point to diminish any of these realities of Christ. In fact, we're going to look at them as we ask our three questions of this text. We're going to be asking, what height did Christ descend from? We're going to ask, what depths did Christ descend to? And then in turn, what service did Christ render? So that we might in turn have Christ-like humility. Christ is truly the center of this text and the center of this main point. But ultimately so that Paul can say, now here's how you are meant to live. And that's what the context is. Here's how you're meant to live serving one another. And so that is our hope and that is our goal today as we seek to work through this to see the glories of Christ and in turn um, in some way find aspects in which we will be, we will be uh, challenged and encouraged and strengthened then to live this calling that Paul and through Paul God has given to us to have the same mind that Christ before we do so, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we come to you today. and We ask for your blessing here as we open up your word and look to it. Lord, we, we know that you hate the double-minded and our desire is not to be double-minded today, but rather to with singular focus, look to you in your word. Because you are our hiding place. You are our shield. And we hope in you and we live by your words. I pray that our desire today would be to know you 
and therefore glorify you. And so as we open your word, as we look into it, may we keep the commandments of our God. May you uphold us according to your promises so that we may live. So that we may not be put to shame in our hope. Hold us up so that we might be safe. So that we might regard your word continually. come to such a text as this and we see the glory of Christ. May our flesh tremble in fear of Him. May we see Him and stand in awe. And yet in turn see the example He has given to us and the empowerment and enablement He has granted to us so that we might live lives that are humbly obedient in service as well. We know this to be the calling of your people. We have been made your people so that we might glorify you. So may it be so today. May it not be, may it not be so just here in Joliet and here at Gospel Life Church, but may it be true of all your church meeting together today. Lord, we pray for New Life Church in Lubumbashi. We pray that today they have received, as they have received your word being eight hours ahead of us, May they now be seeking to apply it. May they now be seeking to live it as they do some personal Bible studies and different things here this afternoon and this evening as a church on the Lord's Day that you would grant grace to them and that they might, they might seek to live by your word and under your word so that Christ might receive the glory and honor and praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are meant to pursue a disposition of Christ-like humility through obedience to God and service to one another. So, what does that humility look like? Well, it starts here. Paul presents to us this reality from which Christ came. And so, we have our first question, what height did Christ descend from? What height did Christ descend from? Where does he come from? And, and so Paul starts here with this, having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here, here Paul describes for us the, the reality that Christ lived within that he descends from. And so Christ, the answer, Christ descends from heavenly glories as the second person of the triune God. Thank you. Christ descended from the heavenly glories as the second person of the triune God, God the Son, Prince of Heaven. And this is where he comes from. So we have this idea here that is presented to us that that Jesus Christ, this man that lived and that died, that Paul had... um, in the first place, rejected as the Messiah, and that was the claim that he was the Messiah. And yet in turn, Paul sees him on uh, the road to Damascus and is converted and now proclaims him not just 
as a savior of Israel, not just as a great man and teacher of God's word, but he says here that he is the in the form of God. That he has the very nature of God. He shares the very essence of what it is to be God. Now, there have been a lot of heresies throughout church history that sought to either make Jesus solely God and deny his humanity or make Jesus solely human and deny his deity. But we have in this text a reality that we cannot get around and that he is in the form of God. And now we might say, well, it doesn't say he is God, it just says he's in the form of God. So is he like something like God? And maybe like Arius, he's a, he's a lesser God than the one true God? And yet, what do we read as we go on? We're going to look at this more in just a minute, but in verse 7, he made himself a nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. What is he saying here? Jesus Jesus, when he's using this word form, the form of a servant, a human form, what is he saying? He became a man, human. Like, so whatever, whatever form means in the humanity part, it means in the God part. So he, he had the nature of God, and then he had the nature of, hum, of, of a human being. And then the reverse is true. Whatever it means when it's talking about God, it means when it's talking about humanity. So if, if he's a lesser God, then he's a lesser human. We know that's not, that's not the case. He was truly God and was truly human. Every aspect of godness, he has. Every aspect of humanity, he took on himself. What truly makes human beings human beings, Jesus was. Let's understand that when God created us, he created us. Innocent without sin. Sin is not ultimately what determines us being human beings. It's what makes us sinners. But Jesus takes on everything that makes us humanity. And therefore, if we understand that in verses 7 and 8, that he has everything, he has this form that makes him human, so we understand in verse 6 that he has this form that makes him God. He is the second person of the triune God. And when we say that, what are we saying? We are saying he has everything that makes God, God. He shares the essence of Godness with the other two persons of the Trinity. So we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. They all share the same essence of God. We don't hold to other heresies like modalism, that God you know, sometimes demonstrates himself as a father, but then at other times demonstrates himself as a son. So some people use the example of like, so, so myself, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting with my dad, I'm the son. When I'm sitting with my son, which happens to be his birthday today. Happy birthday, Brian Paul, if you're watching. All right. If, if I happen to be sitting with my son, I'm the father, right? That's not, that's not what we're for. These are three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but all share the same essence of God. The triune God. 
And that is who he is, and that is who he always has been. The Christ was residing prior to his incarnation in heavenly glories as the second person of the Trinity for eternity past. And it is in eternity past that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit determined to create a world and determine to create humanity and determine to save humanity. And Jesus Christ, we'll get to this later, I, just, I like to get ahead of myself, but Jesus Christ, so just help us understand where he is in eternity past. He is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. This is where he ex- existed prior to our creation, prior to all creation. Jesus is not created. He is the Creator. Jesus is not somehow a lesser God created by God the Father. He himself is God, sharing the same essence with the same glory and the same power and the same authority. He is the Prince of Heaven, whom all in heaven serve and all on earth should serve. This is the height from which he descended. And we, we should bask in that glorious reality of who he is. And yet again, as I said right at the beginning, he, Paul does not just present a, this section to us to bask in the glory of who Christ is, though we should and though he would desire us to. Um, but also to help us see how we are meant to live in light of it. And so I think it's important to then ask, what heights do we descend from when we humble ourselves? We should be reminded of the lowness of the heights we descend from. We think about serving one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. What is our own prideful, selfish desires meant to think that we're somehow above everybody else? lower myself to serve you. As if we somehow, you know, got out our stepladder and started to climb up and get ourselves as high as possible. You know, but reality really is it's more like we're just standing on our tippy toes. Like trying to be above everybody else. You know, when we consider the height of Christ, and that's as far as we can go. And it doesn't matter if you're a president. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO. It doesn't matter if you, if you rule a country or whatever. And, you know, humanity is sought to incorporate power in itself. But God, God holds the heart of kings in his hand. He moves them as he will. He sets them up. He takes them down. You know, our power is an illusion. Our power. Are, are the, the greatest amount of, of power we can seem to generate. Again, it's like it's all standing in a row and me standing on my tippy toes trying to be higher than you. Compared to the glories of Christ that go beyond the ceiling and beyond the distance to the moon and beyond the distance to the sun, beyond the distance to the end of our universe, beyond the distance to the next universe and the next and the next and the next. I mean, that's how significantly different his height from which he descended is to the heights from which we descend to serve one another. 
He comes from heaven's glories to serve. Where do we come from? Where do we come down from to serve? We don't, we don't bend very low to serve one another, to, send, to descend in producing humility in us that serves our brothers and sisters in Christ and serves those around us. And so we should, we should definitely embrace the example of Christ here. Willing to bend from such heights to serve us. What depths did Christ descend to is the second question. What depths did Christ descend to? Definitely describes his heights here in uh, verse 6. In verse 7 and 8, we see the depths to which he is willing to descend. And so our answer here, Christ descended to humanity, taking a human nature, becoming a man. And then I add here, one of his own creation made to serve God. He becomes the creation that was made to serve him. See verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself. And we see there are four different ways it's described. He made himself nothing. You ever think a lot of yourself? When, when Paul describes humanity here, inspired by God. He describes it as, as Christ becoming nothing. Christ becoming worthless, in a sense. His emptying of his glory and his honor. And really, it's, it's not meant to necessarily really put on to us the fact that we are worthless. I mean, we're created by God, so... Because of that, intrinsically, God being worthy and his creation of us makes us have some worth because of his creating us. But really, it's more of a comparison. In comparison to the glories in which he resided in, what he becomes is nothing. Not only that, we see the second thing, taking on the form of the servant. And that is why I write that. One of his own creation made to serve him. Humanity is by creation a servant. That's what we're created for. To know him so that we might enjoy him and glorify him. We are his servants, created for his service. All of creation is this. We have been especially endowed with certain commands and specific authorities even over the rest of creation so that we might be his reflection of his glory and his authority and his goodness in this world. And yet in our sin, we are Horrible at that. We're awful at reflecting him. That is, our, that is our nature. We are servants. And so he, in taking on humanity, takes on the form of a servant. And then third, he being born in the likeness of men. You know, he chooses you know, the most humble aspects of it. Most dependent aspects of humanity. I mean, couldn't Jesus just like take on human form at 33 years of age? <laughs> he could have. He could have became a mature man, and yet instead he, he willingly humbles himself, not to the point of just taking on humanity, but being born as a human being. Utterly dependent upon his parents' care. 
totally dependent upon their nurturing and um, having to go through all that stuff that we have we have had to go through and then as you have kids you realize you have to like take care of all that stuff um you know feedings and the cryings and the sleepings and the poopy diapers okay like he put himself in that position the heights from which he comes, we see again why this would be described as humility. Verse 4, being found in human form. Clearly taking on a human nature. So we have the God-man, Jesus Christ, who by nature is God and by nature is combining of the greatest being in the universe with the humblest of servants in the universe. Which, again, should cause us to ask, what depths do we descend to? We're already human beings. So we think about the, the, the most amazing being in the universe stoops low and becomes one of us, to serve us. He's like, now this is an example to you. Now you go serve one another. And we're like, but I'm not the amazing human being. That just means I, I don't have to stoop that low. <laughs> you know, we, we often think, well, they don't deserve my help, or they don't deserve my care. Man, I've, I've got to go help them. But really, you're not stooping that low, because you're just like them. You're one of them. You're a human being. And so in Christ, when He descends to such great depths, He descends. He's, he's like going down to the like deepest trench in the ocean. You know? And, and, and we're like stepping off the sand, sandy beach into the shallows of the water. Like that's the difference. I mean, the shallowness of the depths we have to descend in order to demonstrate and show humility to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's nothing compared to the depths that Christ descends. So we may look at it, we may see its difficulties, but Christ has far, far overcome the difficulties we can see in descending to serve one another. Third question. What service did Christ render? What service then did Christ render here? Christ humbly served God the Father with everything. That's the point in verse 8. Being found in human form, He's humbled Himself. He is, he is that servant. He went even further. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was willing to give the Father everything. Serve Him with everything He had. And, and here's the thing, I mean, He's equal with God. <laughs> he's equal in everything, and yet He's willing to lower Himself and serve the Father even to the point of death. So we, may, we, may, we may be thinking, well, I'm equal with everyone else. 
Like, why do I need to serve them? They can serve me. I mean, we're just all equal here. But, but Christ, being equal in form with God the Father, is willing to serve God the Father with everything he has. So in turn, like, we should be willing to serve those who we are equal with and lower ourselves. But ultimately, in the end, just like this text describes, not the fact and we can go to other passages, and I often quote other passages, that describe the, the heart of Jesus in serving us. This passage doesn't describe, ultimately, his service to us. Because where is his service pointing towards? He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Obedient to whom? Not to us. Not to sin that he's taken care of. Not to the devil. To God, the Father. And ultimately, that's the reality that we have to come to grips with. This humbling of ourselves and this serving one another is not ultimately because of the worth and dignity of one another or the equality we have with one another, but ultimately because God the Father calls us to do it. And Christ, who was equal with God the Father, was willing to give everything he had to live in obedience and service to God the Father. How much more should we We're not equal with God. You hadn't realized that yet? You're not. All right? I'm not. None of us are. All right? We are so far removed from that reality. Like we can't even to completely come to grips with what it would even mean to be God. And so, so, so completely unequal with God so completely lower than what God is, we are meant to look at Christ, who is truly God, yet truly takes on human form, our form, and serves with everything he has. We're meant to say, that's the kind of human being I'm meant to be in him. That's the kind of human being that is willing to have that same mind that says, here's, here's who I am. Here's what I have. God, let me use it for you. Let me give it for you. How do we obey God? By serving one another. That's what this text is about. In the humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but on the interests of others. That's the call to us. And then we see verse 9, the result of his service. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think this is, this is where we begin to again see, see the reality of what results in our being in Christ. But again, the comparison differs. You see, Christ came and demonstrated to us what humanity was meant to look like in its fullness. He is the second Adam. The first Adam failed. 
to demonstrate to us what humanity was meant to look like. And now the second Adam comes to demonstrate to us what humanity is meant to look like. And he is the one who gets to rule and reign forever. And, 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 and here's where the comparison, we, we have an aspect of comparison because we're told that if we're in him, we will rule and reign with him. Let me tell you something. It's Jesus, though, that sits on the throne. It's Jesus whose name is exalted and who is above all other names because he, as, as, as taking on humility, descending to our form, is able to do something that we were never able to do. To live in complete obedience to God, even to death on the cross. Now, in the bringing up of the, of the word cross there, it should bring up into our minds all that Christ has done then for us, Right? I mean, he pays the penalty of the sin on the cross. Our debt is paid, nailed to that cross. We are given his righteousness and holiness, all who would put their faith and trust in him. I mean, that's all packed into there to that word. Because of that, willingness to give himself as a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, slain from eternity past, his willingness to do that, descending to take on human form, he is exalted above all names. In turn, as he renders his service of humbly serving God the Father with everything, God the Father in, t- in turn pours out on him all glory and praise and honor. Now, we have to think about, as God, he already started there, right? You say, what is, what is Jesus gaining from this? He doesn't need to gain anything. He's God. Right? Jesus starts in heavenly glories, all right, as the second person of the Trinity. Not, and I, I called him Jesus, but he's not yet Jesus yet, right? He doesn't have the name. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. He's going to take the name of Jesus in his incarnation. So he's here, and he takes the name of Jesus in his incarnation. He lowers himself. So that he might demonstrate to us what obedience looks like. So that he might die on a cross in obedience to his Father and bring glory to him by redeeming a people for himself. And then in turn he is exalted. And you're like, wait, (laughs) isn't he just back where he began? Yes, but now he exists as the truly God, truly man. In history, in time. God takes upon humanity so that he might demonstrate what true humanity is meant to look like. And now, this heavenly glory is not just the Son of God, but the Son of Man. It is the Christ Jesus who exists in heavenly glories. And as this God-man He is able then to promise to all humanity who would follow him that they will live and rule and reign with him forever. So when he stoops low, it's like like a big excavator or something. He scoops down and picks us up and brings us back up into glory with him. So we begin to understand what it means to count others more significant than yourself and let each of you look not only on your own interests, but on the interests of others 
And why that is having the same mind as Christ. Because as he leaves the heaven glory, heavenly glories that he'll ultimately come back to. So that we might be swooped up in his goodness. That is the wonder of the same mind of Jesus Christ. And we are then meant to share that goodness with one another. To encourage one another, strengthen one another in this. That same goodness. We're not just meant to say, well, now I've been saved. I have Jesus. I have the glory of, uh, of God and can live for the glory of God. And, and I have a, a home in heaven promised for me. I'm set. Don't need to worry about anything anymore. No, we have this great promise. And now we're meant to swoop up everybody else in it. Not that we can save them like Christ, but we're meant to point them to Christ. We're meant to demonstrate that reality. We're meant to give them that vision, that focus. We're meant to share that gospel with them so that they might see it. We're meant to count others more significant than ourselves. We're meant to help our brothers and sisters in encouraging them to look to that glorious good that is found in Christ alone. Which leads us to our fourth point here. Connecting to everyday life and in many ways, we already have done that <clears throat> under each of the points. But uh, just a challenge here to this first question, are you a member of gospel community? Again, not a member of our church necessarily or a member of whatever church you may be a part of. That's not what really the question is about. The question is about are you saved? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Are you part of his community, his family, his people, his church? Anybody can slap the name church up on a, on a building or whatever point is, have you trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, we'd love to talk to you. If, you. if you are wondering what that means, more about that, we would love to speak with you in regards to that today. Next question, what can we know about God from this text? I mean, there's just so much we can understand. We can see. We know that Christ is equal with the other persons of the God. We can we can know this. There should be no doubt in our minds that when, when we talk about Jesus, this is historical figure that lived as a man, that he uh, transcended beyond his humanity and in eternity past existed as part of the Godhead. And then even as, as, as he takes on human form, as he stands within history, who is he? He is truly still God with, with all the aspects of godness at his disposal. We know that that God is willing to humble himself. It reminds me of the, the Christmas song, like How Many Kings. I don't know if you ever heard that from down here, but like how many, I mean, we have a hard enough time lowering ourselves, humbling ourselves enough to just walk over and talk to our neighbors sometimes. Like, honestly, like, so we understand how, like, that just doesn't make sense that not just a human being with all this power would do this, but any, a being completely other than us with unlimited power would do something like this. I mean, that's why it was foolishness to the Greeks, as Paul says, writing to the Corinthian church. This is foolishness to them. They're like, who would do such a thing? Our God. We should know this. How can we enjoy God? 
You try to wrestle with the fact that he's both God and man at the same time? Like, it's baffling, and yet at the same time, it's just intriguing and enjoy. I don't know, I enjoy, like, just thinking through all that, those aspects and the concept of who he is. And the fact that he t- took on human nature, and so, you know, I don't know if they play little, little piggies, I don't know, in Jewish culture, but somebody counted his toes. Have you thought about that? Like, that, I don't know. I, I count little babies' toes right now, so I get kind of happy about those kind of things. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we can consider it. And in understanding the, the trueness of his, uh, of, his, uh, of his godness, of his deity, and the trueness of his humanity, we're meant to kind of meditate on that, consider that. And in doing so, we find these aspects of it. Of, of enjoyment in him and who he is, what he's willing to do, enjoying the fact that the one that we are called to serve with our lives, served with everything he had. Again, he could have been like, you know, here's just a portion of me, because that would be enough. (laughs) But instead, he's like, here's all of me. How can we glorify God? Have the same mind. I'm not going to try to dig in more deeply, you know. Be thinking like Him, which means humbly serving, living ultimately in obedience to God, to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the glory of Your Son, Jesus Christ. He is beyond us in worth, splendor. We should sit in awe of Him. Not just the the utter apartness, the holiness of who He is and His godness. But the disposition of your heart God that motivated your son to such depths, to such lowliness, and in, in doing so to such sacrifice, and such gentleness, and meekness, and the giving of himself as a lamb to the slaughter who does not open his mouth. one most worthy of being served and yet coming not to be served but to serve. May we stand amazed. In Jesus' name we pray.